one of history's great philosophers once wrote the following, and I actually have this on the the screen because it's so important. Uh, The power of love is a curious thing. Make one man weep, make another man sing. Some of you are already laughing. Change a hawk to a little white dove more than a feeling. That's the power of love. Now, some of you who are of a certain age, like Kevin giggling over here on the right-hand side of the church, you may recognize those lyrics from the great philosopher of the 1980s, Huey Lewis and the News. All right. Did you know that already? All right. How many of you knew that already? Several. All right. On the same family. though. Okay. Uh, <laughs> these words were written for his song, The Power of Love, which was written for the soundtrack of the greatest science fiction movie of all time, Back to the Future. You can keep your Star Wars and your Star Treks. If the main character is not driving around in a DeLorean, you are wasting your time. Amen? Anyone? No one. All right. Most of you have checked out already, which is a new record for me. All right. It's the last line of the lyric that I read that really lands with me where he says it's more than a feeling that's the power of love there is some incredible wisdom in that statement in the statement that the power of love is more than just a feeling that it's more than just something you feel Uh, as a pastor I get a chance to do premarital counseling from time to time and one of the most important pieces of truth that I can possibly ever give a young couple is that love between two people cannot just be a feeling. The reason is because love is a conscious decision that we make. We choose to love. Now, Hopefully, there are warm and fuzzy and beautiful feelings associated with your love for someone else, but those things in themselves are not love. Any couple that's been married for more than, oh, let's say 12 minutes can tell you that not every day is filled with warm, fuzzy feelings. Can I get an amen for that one? Way more than back to the future. That's okay, though. There will be days in any marriage where you will have to decide to love despite what you may be feeling at that moment. Love is absolutely more than a feeling. Thank you, Huey Lewis and the News, for reminding us that love isn't something you just feel. It's something that we do. Now, we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Hosea. This is the third week. We're going to wrap it up next week. And this has been an interesting book uh, to dig into. And today we're going to see God once again making Hosea's life an example for us. Uh, You may have thought that once we got through chapter one, God had toyed with Hosea quite a bit in order to make this broader statement to Israel. Well, he's not done quite yet. In fact, the important stuff is still coming. Uh, and in a, uh, what God is going to command Hosea to do is something that Hosea would most likely not want to do. But in obeying his command, Hosea is going to demonstrate the power of choosing to love. Because going with his feelings in Hosea's life at this point would not have been the loving thing to do. 
Hosea is going to have to choose to love. Just so we know where we are in the story, a brief recap of where we've been. God, at the beginning of Hosea, if you start reading Hosea 1, it just throws you right into it. God commands Hosea to go and to marry a very unfaithful woman, beautifully named Gomer, uh, knowing full well that she is not going to be faithful to him. Over and over and over again, with no recourse whatsoever, she is going to be unfaithful to him. God wants this to happen. He, he tells Hosea to enter into this relationship because he wants to show Israel what God himself feels like when it comes to his relationship with the people of Israel. Because just like a man and a wife are a covenant partner, God and Israel are covenant partners. And God's covenant partner is not being faithful to him. And God wants them to know this hurts. This is hurting him. And so Hosea and Gomer, they are married, and you see Gomer running around on Hosea, but they do have three children, and each of their three children was given a name that was also a message from God. Their children's named, uh, the first one is named Scattered, as a message that Israel would soon be scattered if they went down this path further. The next one is named No Mercy, and the last child was named Not My People. God is not being subtle with these names, is he? But God is also in this book, and this is the important part. He's also giving a message of hope in that there is still a way for Israel to be in good relationship with him again, even though they have been Gomer in the relationship with God. And so I want us to read together the first five verses of Hosea chapter 3. Hosea 3, 1 through 5 and if you will, stand with me as we read God's word together here. Hosea 3, 1 through 5. I'll go ahead and tell you this is not a retelling of chapter 1. This is a whole new chapter in Hosea's life. Hosea 3, 1 through 5. And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore you or belong to another man. So will I also be with you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the later days. You can be seated. If you were like me, the first question you ask is, cakes of raisins? What? <laughs> Is that what people are turning for? We'll get to that in a little bit, okay? But cakes of raisins really stuck out to me in that passage. Uh, I am a very food-based person, though, so that's not a surprise. Um, now, the, the woman in this chapter is not named or specified, but it is the consensus of biblical scholars that the woman of Hosea 3 is the same woman from Hosea 1, that this is still Gomer that we're talking about, even though she's been through some changes. Uh, to read chapter 3 and have the woman be someone other than Gomer that Hosea is going to 
would really be problematic for the overall message of Hosea. The story of Hosea is about how God wants to redeem Israel. It's not about how Israel runs around on God, and so then God goes and chooses some other people, okay? It's about the redemption of the same people. Any other reading would really break the analogy that carries the basic message of the entire book of Hosea. Uh, that the Lord of Israel will judge his idolatrous people, but afterwards will renew his relationship with them. Uh, That's important. And to introduce a second woman at this point would kind of derail that entire train of thoughts and wreck the hope that Hosea is trying to convey to Israel. Uh, And so just about everybody believes that this is still Gomer that we're talking about. Uh, And like I said, in some ways, uh, chapter 3 of Hosea does read a lot like chapter one of Hosea. It looks like Hosea is just being commanded to do something really bleak that's just gonna hurt him. And it's just so God can have this real life sermon illustration to show to Israel. Uh, But that's not what's going on. It's not just a retelling of chapter one. God tells Hosea to go again to Gomer, which tells us that somehow between chapters one and three, Gomer has left Hosea. They're no longer together. I don't know if they're still married or not, but she's no longer in the picture. What seems to have happened, and what most people tend to think, is that one of the many men that Gomer had had affairs with had enslaved her, that her sin had resulted in her bondage. Uh, This should be very familiar to the Israelites as they're hearing this, because if you are hearing this story and you know that God is using this as an illustration for your relationship, what has happened time and time and time again throughout Israel's history, but their sin and their iniquity and their, this habit they have of always chasing other gods usually leads to what? Their bondage, their own slavery, some other nation coming in and having Israel under their thumb, being oppressed. And so this is all very familiar to the Israel story. This is what Gomer is experiencing. Now, once again, though, I want us to really think and experience and imagine what it would be like to be in Hosea's shoes at this point. His wife was repeatedly and unapologetically unfaithful to him. And she had run out on him one too many times with the wrong guy, and she had got herself in a lot of trouble. Okay, what do you think Hosea's really feeling at this point? I think there's a possibility that Hosea's thinking, good, that's what you get, right? Don't you think that might be what he's thinking? Maybe you can now know the kind of pain that you've caused me. Good. You deserve to suffer. Would anyone in the world be able to blame Hosea for having those feelings, for thinking that way about Gomer? That's what he would have been feeling. But God gives him instructions not to act on his feelings, but rather to choose to love. Despite her unfaithfulness, God tells Hosea to go be with her once again. And he actually doesn't say just to go be with her. He is actually commanded to go and to love her. He is commanded to go and to actively love her. In chapter one, God told Hosea to go take for himself this wife who was like a prostitute. And here God commands Hosea to love the woman who is 
been loved by other men and is an adulteress. He's commanded to love her. God's concern this time is not that Hosea just marry her. He wants Hosea to love her, to choose to love her. Why? Because this is still a picture of God's love and faithfulness for his people, Israel. Hosea's action of going and seeking out his wife, who has become an adulteress, enslaved by another man, this is what it's like for God in his love for his people, Israel. I want you to really think about that for a minute, how big that love is, how deep that love is. It's the kind of love that really is not something you just feel, it's something that you choose to do. This is the kind of love that you choose. Could you love someone who's so could you love someone so unconditionally that even if they repeatedly hurt you and they didn't seem to care one bit about you and didn't show not one bit of remorse for hurting you over and over again and are just constantly doing the same thing that hurts you with no sign that they'll ever stop, would your love for them still remain? Well, that's the depth of God's love. And it's put on display in a way that has to be painful for Hosea but is clear for us as we read it today. God loves us despite the times that we're unfaithful to him. There's an old hymn that I love. It's actually one of my favorite hymns, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You probably know a lot of the lyrics yourself. The reason I like it is that it's uncharacteristically honest and blunt for a a beautiful sacred church song. But there's this one verse that admits this. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's not really him music. <laughs> That's not really him uh, lyrics, but it's right here in the middle of this one. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. It speaks truth that the human condition since the fall is one where we tend to wander away from God. The carnal part of our lives pulls us in the opposite direction. And through Hosea's life, God is painfully describing the abandonment that he feels from the people that he loves. That first verse of chapter 3 said, Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other, guy, uh, to other gods and they love cakes of raisins. I told you we were going to get back to that. Raisin cakes. Sounds awful, Right? The people of God are turning away from him for raisin cakes. This is the ancient Jewish version of getting fruitcake for Christmas is really what it comes down to. When I was a youth pastor in Texas, uh, there was a dear old man named Frank. uh, Not unlike our dear old man named Frank over here, by the way. (laughs) He was one of the sweetest people ever to walk this earth. He was an angel of a man. Also just like our Frank, right? No amen from karma, but that's okay. (laughs) Every year for Christmas, Frank gave me and all the other staff members at church this giant tin of fruitcake. And when I do my hands like this, I'm not exaggerating. It was about as big around as a regulation-sized basketball. It probably weighed 180 pounds. It was so dense and so massive, and he was so proud of it, too. He did not buy these from the store he had a fruitcake distributor 
like he had a catalog or something, and he would order them and ship them in. And every Christmas, all of us would have these three-ton fruit cakes on our desk for Christmas. It was completely lost on him that no person in their 20s has ever enjoyed a fruitcake, ever, in, in the history. You may enjoy a fruitcake now, but I don't know of any people in their 20s that are just like, mm, fruitcake. Anyway, uh, but God is saying, man, my people are turning their backs on me for stinking fruitcake. That's what's going on here. And it's actually even worse than that because raising cakes, historically, what's actually going on in the text here is raising cakes were a part of the worship of Canaanite gods. That uh, was kind of a part of the temple rituals to be a part of worshiping these other Canaanite gods. So what God is actually pointing out by saying, my people are abandoning me for raising cakes, they're saying my people are abandoning me to worship other gods and to live the lifestyle associated with other gods. Their eyes have been caught by these other gods and they're leaving me for the raising cakes. And the way Hosea is written, it's so personal. It doesn't allow us just to listen to the lessons. The way Hosea is written, it actually kind of forces us to enter into the story where we have to ask ourselves how faithful we truly are to this God now. Do we always stay true to him or do we have to admit that sometimes some raisin cakes catch our eye from time to time? Because raisin cakes are everywhere. The kind of the symbols of other gods and other idols that we can fall in love with, those raisin cakes are everywhere. We turn away from God to chase after a little more money. That's a raisin cake. A little more power, a little more popularity, a little more immediate gratification. These are all raisin cakes that represent other idols that we put in front of our relationship with God. But it's interesting, though, because our problem isn't that we want too much. We're not hoarding all these things and we're not tempted by all these things because we want too much. It's actually that we want too little. Or rather, the problem is that the things that we do want are too small and they're too insignificant. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis that explains exactly what I mean. And I have this on the screen, too. This is from C.S. Lewis. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the, un and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drunk and sex and ambition when an infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. In other words, the problem is not that we can't be pleased. It's that darn near everything pleases us and we settle. Our standards are too low. And so, yes, when the things that catch our eyes, whether it's money, power, sex, whatever it is, when it catches our eyes... It's not that we just want too much. It's that we're settling for things that are too small. We are promised eternity. We are promised peace. We are promised joy. We are promised all these things. And they stack up immeasurably against the things of this world. And yet we settle time and time again. And we jeopardize all that stuff. We jeopardize all of our promises over some earthly stuff, which will never ever truly satisfy us, not for long. 
And isn't that the Gomer story? In Gomer, you have a woman who has a good, godly man and three children, and yet throw something that precious away time and time again. And we have to remember in this story, we like to think we're Hosea, but we're not. We're Gomer in this story. There's no way to read Hosea where we are not Gomer. We are the people who wander. We are the people who let raisin cakes catch our eyes. We are the people who turn our backs on paradise for temporary earthly garbage. That's who we are sometimes. That's who we are, but who is God? God is the one that we see here in Hosea. In Hosea, we see this boundless love that actively goes out and seeks the people of God, goes to them in the midst of their unfaithfulness, goes to them in the midst of the mess that they have made for themselves. And as a symbol of God's love, Hosea goes and redeems his unfaithful wife. He purchases her back and welcomes her back into right relationship. I've told you in the book of Hosea to be on the lookout for Christ. I hope that those bells are going off right now. And although he seeks her out once again, and although he wants her back and he wants to redeem her, he tells her, I expect commitment from you this time. Did you catch that in those first five verses? Hosea stands up a little bit. He says, you're gonna come back to me And the phrase that he uses is, you're not going to play the whore anymore. He says, you're going to come back. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to restore what we have, but we got to get this right. You can't keep doing the same things that you've constantly done over and over and over again. And we need to remember that as well. We also would do well to remember that just because we are redeemed or there is a God who wants to redeem us, that it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for our unfaithfulness. Earlier in that passage, just reading it again, for the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And then afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. You see, it talks about separation first, which was what Gomer had experienced. He talked about a time where there wouldn't be a king or a prince. He's talking about separation from God's big narrative. He says you're going to be without, it's a sacrifice or pillar. Some versions say sacred stones. It represents religious ceremonies and rituals because you're going to be without that stuff. It's going to be dead. So there's going to be without ephod or idol. These are the special. The ephod was the special device the priest would use to discern the will of God. And if you're without that, it means that you're disconnected, right? So he says, listen, you have done wrong by me and there are consequences here. There is going to be disconnect, but know that there is a way back. But sin does create separation from God. And it has to be dealt with. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us or want to be in uh, relationship with us. In fact, his love is so powerful that it overcomes our sin through the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. He is our king. He is our pillar of sacrifice. He is our priestly ephod by which we can know the will of God. He is our every connection to God that we could ever need. Christ is that connection. 
even in this lesson to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, long before Christ comes in the Gospels, God is pointing us to Christ. He is pointing us to a Christ that goes and purchases us in the midst of our iniquities and brings us back into right relationship with him. That is Jesus' language in the book of Hosea. You can see that, right? The pattern of God's love for a wayward people, and this is what I want us to really take from this, but the pattern of God's love, the way he always loves even his wayward people should give us hope. We should leave this place hopeful today. This, this second chapter in Hosea's story, when he's told to find and redeem Gomer back to himself, it ends in a hopeful note because there, that last verse that we read a couple of times, it says God will have the people return to him and they will find him right there waiting for him where he always was. And not only will they find him, but they will find unity. They will find peace. They will find the things that he wanted to offer them all along. We spoke a little bit about Israel's situation in week one, how Israel had already been divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Uh, Hosea was prophesying to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom has actually already broken off from the narrative of God to a certain extent. Uh, Judah was the southern kingdom, and that was where the line of David had gone. Hosea is on the northern kingdom, which was separate now. But yet, here in Hosea, they are told that they will return to the Lord their God and that David would be their king once again. David's name was invoked in that kind of redemption that Hosea is offering. Now, he's obviously not meaning that David was going to literally rise from the dead and be their king again. Uh, this was about 250 years after David. He's saying that one day they will be reconciled together so that they will be under the leadership of King David's line once again which they were not currently under. So that's the hope for Israel because it means that one day there's going to be unity again. That one day there will be peace again. That one day there will be direction again. That one day there will be communication with God and that they will be a part of the grand narrative, this thread that God is weaving from Genesis to Revelation that goes right through the book of Hosea. What a hope that is for Israel that despite their wrong turns, Despite their poor decisions, despite their unfaithfulness, they can still get back on track and they can regain everything that they've lost. God is welcoming them back in the midst of their unfaithfulness. And it's not just good news for Israel around 800 BC. This is good news for us today in 2020. That despite our wrong turns, despite our unfaithfulness, despite the way that we get off track, despite the way that we've been prone to wander, despite the way our eyes get distracted by the raisin cakes all around us, redemption is always possible. No matter what we've done, the mistakes that are in our past, redemption is still possible for us. We know that God, through his son Jesus, just like Hosea, went seeking for us. He went looking for us. And even though our own actions have oftentimes put us in places that are far away from him, and even though we have sometimes been an unfaithful people, and even though we can be a people with raisins on our breath, not only does he rescue and redeem us, but he changes our hearts so that we too can live under the rule of the line of David.
Let me remind you, Christ himself descended from the line of David. And despite the times that we've cast off his leadership and become in love with whatever the other power is that grips our lives, he's inviting us back to be ruled under the line of David, Christ himself. Hosea went to where Gomer was. He paid a price and he redeemed the sinful spouse back to himself so that they could start again and so that things could be different, things could be better. In the same way, Christ came to where we are. He paid a price and redeemed his sinful people back to himself so that we can start again and that things can be better. This is why we sing about amazing love and amazing grace. God's love that we see in Hosea is our hope and it encourages us about our futures and it is powerful, able to redeem even the most lost, the most farthest away of us all. God's love is there to redeem us and to welcome us back home and to place us under the rule of the one who stems from David. If you will, stand with me and let's close in prayer.